0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Welcome back to New Books and Political Science, a podcast on the New Books Network. I'm Susan LeBell at St. Joseph's University, and thank you to all our listeners who sent emails and uh, tweets about their favorite podcasts of the year or authors they'd like to hear from in the new year after Lily Gorin and I did our annual wrap-up. Please continue to send us your thoughts via Twitter or email. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Dove H. Levin, an assistant professor of international relations in the Department of Politics and Public Administration at the University of Hong Kong. Dove's book, Meddling in the Ballot Box, The Causes and Effects of Partisan Electoral Interventions, was published by Oxford University Press in 2020 and could not be more relevant during the last weeks of the administration of U.S. President Donald Trump. This is Dove's first book, and I'm delighted to welcome him to the New Books Network.
0: Thank you for inviting me.
1: Your book argues that partisan electoral interventions are a common form of intervention in the modern world, a tool of great power politics that are used by both liberal democratic and non-democratic great powers. Your study, which includes multiple case studies, The creation of an original database and multiple quantitative analyses aims to answer two important and relevant questions. First, when and where does such meddling occur? And second, what effects do meddling attempts have on the target election? Are they successful? Using a combination of methodological approaches, you find that interventions by great powers have significant impact in the desired direction in most cases When two concurrent conditions exist, the great power perceives its interests as being greatly endangered by a significant candidate or party within the target, and another significant domestic actor within the country wants or is willing to collude with the intervention. Only when both of these conditions are present will partisan electoral interventions occur. Before we dig into the specifics of these important findings, let's begin with how you came to write on meddling in elections. The introduction to your book offers three recent examples of foreign intervention into elections, and you encourage the reader to understand that these are not unprecedented, but rather examples of long standing political practice. You take the reader back to papal conclaves in the 13th century, as well as interventions in Polish elections in the 17th century, American elections in the 18th, and French elections in the 19th. And you underline how Alexander Hamilton and other leaders at the Constitutional Convention recognized the threat of external meddling and thought the Electoral College might help prevent it. So how did you come to research foreign intervention in elections? Why did these particular questions draw you in, and, and, and why is the study of partisan electoral interventions so important?
0: Well, it was a sheer coincidence. You know, um, I was, uh, at the time when I came towards this topic, I was a PhD student at UCLA doing my uh, PhD in uh, political science and i was looking for a new dissertation topic after you know my two previous topics uh, did not work out for various reasons and because i'm a history buff you know i really like to read history and i like you know a lot, and i like to and on, on various topics and eras and um, i went to the main ucla library and i was looking for something to read there at my spare time you know the perfect example of you know being a history buff and uh, by sheer chance they had their a new book on the shelf you know they had there at the time a new releases section about italy in the late 1940s and that thing they yeah, very prominently discussed one such case of such interventions in other words you know the american intervention in italy in the 1948 uh, italian parliamentary elections So, I read that book and I uh, looked at it and said to myself, "Um, Oh, um, this looks like an interesting topic for a PhD dissertation. But, you know, of course, immediately when I said, Oh, this could be a great topic, I uh, was becoming worried. You know, Um, naturally, if this is such an interesting topic, I thought that there must be, you know, many other pieces of research on it. You know, Uh, I was, so, you know, I went uh, trembling and shaking, you know, to uh, Google Scholar and to other, you know, search websites typed in, you know, various keyb- keywords and expected, you know, to get, you know, dozens of papers going back to uh, God knows when on this topic, so to speak. And, uh, but, I, but I did that and I started checking and I couldn't find any. And I said, wow, um, if, there's so, if there's basically nothing, this uh, could be a good option. But, you know, maybe first I should check my uh, advisor and maybe check with them to see um, if there's, you know... Um, any possible issue here, you know, where maybe he will see any landmines why I see this as a great topic and no one went to it before, so to speak. Uh, you know, maybe he would know something that others did not, uh, about some piece of research that I could not find through these methods. So then I go to him and he says to me, oh, you know, that's actually a great uh, topic and which, you know, almost nothing was done to my knowledge. You should actually try to write your proposal on it. And that's how, you know, I uh, launched my uh, research on this topic and uh, discovered it. Um, So that's us for that. Um, As for your second question, as for um, why uh, it's important, um, I think it's important for multiple uh, key reasons, so to speak. You know, um, as you yourself, first, you know, we're talking about something that is very common in uh, the modern world. I find in my data set of uh, such uh, interventions by the United States and the Soviet Union, Russia, called P, which I utilize in uh, this um, in this book, that it has occurred in one out of every nine uh, national level executive election between 1946 and 2000. So we're talking about a pretty common uh, phenomenon, so to speak, and you know which occurred in a lot of elections. And second of all, we are talking about um, so we are talking about you know a type of intervention which is a common way in which foreign powers or, or especially great powers intervene in other countries' elections, so to speak. Secondly, a lot of people uh, you know believe uh, you know that such such interventions can have various major effects on that country's regime type, you know. You are basically, it, this is an interference in, you know, the main institution of democracy, you no know, elections and the process of, you know, uh, of, you know, um, of of, of uh, executive, you know, retention or replacement, so to speak. So when you start tinkering inside, you know, the mechanics, you could, you know, have, you know, various uh, effects on that uh, country, so to speak, which I find both in my book and in other research of mine to be quite significant. As to that, um, as to you know, um, such uh, as to you know, such countries and uh, in general, so to speak. So briefly, those would be, I would say, the two two of the main reasons out of many why it's important. You no, know, it's very common, and it has you know major effects on uh, you know um, the country which you know whose inter- whose elections are targets of such meddling
1: hard to summarize an entire book in just a few paragraphs, but but let's start with the bare bones version of the two questions that motivate your study. When and where such meddling will occur and what the effects usually are in the targeted country. And and let's start with the causes of partisan electoral intervention. What are they and, and how are they different from other kinds of military operations or interventions?
0: Well, uh, what's the name you call it? Um, I basically argue that when it comes to the causes of such uh, interventions, that they are the result of two concurrent conditions. First, that uh, a foreign power sees one of the major candidates or parties which are running in that election as a major threat to its interests. And the second, that they're basically... That basically another candidate or party in uh, the target is uh, basically willing to cooperate with it in uh, that intervention, or in the more in the less technical term, you know, uh, collude, so to speak. And the basic idea here is that foreign powers uh, basically sometimes tend to see um, domestic actors as a target, as a threat, when they have sharp disagreements with them. Over a key issue about you know um, their foreign or domestic relations, something that is really important uh, for the foreign power, you know, for example, alliance relations, for example, you know a military base in the target, for example, you know, um, you know, it's a it's its opinion about uh, some particular third issue which both countries are in dispute of into international politics and so forth and sometimes you know they can have very sharp disagreements over them at the same time the foreign power the, that particular actor or party may be perceived or may actually have inflexible issues on that particular on that issue on that particular topic in other words it is both um, has very significant disagreements with the foreign power on that particular key issue to the foreign power and also seen as very inflexible, you know, um, and that can be because either you know the fine uh, that particular local actor either is a true believer, you know, they act, they deeply believe that that is the right way to do particular things, or you know, um, or you know, they uh, are afraid of backlash from their own uh, public if you know they change their behavior. So in that situation. The foreign power would need to um, give a very large amount of resources as concessions, or you know, um, or you know, use a lot of very heavy uh, coercion in order to get what it wants from such an actor that has very different preferences than it and you know are very inflexible. So in that situation, for foreign power, it can be seen as a more effective way, at least in countries which have relatively competitive elections. To instead of um, you know coercing them or quote unquote bribing them with various you know goodies to you know intervene in an election and make sure that you know they lose power or never come to power in the first place. So um, so um, basic so that is you know um, one reason. The second reason the second concurrent reason is that there and which is more important is that there is another as I said significant domestic actor within the country. That wants or is uh, willing to um, abide, to be aided by the great power in this, you know, uh, risky manner. And the basic idea here is that such meddling, unlike other forms of meddling, are usually, quote unquote, inside jobs. And that is, you know, due to the fact that when a foreign power intervenes in an election, it is effectively for it an attempt to strengthen or create. A domestic election campaign for a particular candidate or party. So, as a result, um, if you want to, if you are far power and you want to, you know, intervene in um, the elections of another country effectively, you know, try to change the results in the preferred manner, you need to have the type of information or, you know, um, the technical terms, you know, local knowledge local actors have and use in order to campaign, you know, what are the electorate preferences, what are the best ways to intervene and so forth. And uh, without such um, information, you have a good chances of doing a mistake and you know, having your intervention instead of helping, you know, harming that domestic actor or being ineffective. So you need them the cooperation of the local actor to basically hold your hand, and tell you what exactly is the best way. You know, you need someone that can tell you, yes, in my country, saying this type of threat will lead people to actually obey you, rather than a knee-jerk nationalist backlash that will cause them to not vote for me. Or, yes, I could really use a hundred million dollars in U.S. uh, foreign aid at the moment. I can give out a lot of goodies, yes. Or, you know, yes, if you could make to me this concession, that could lead 4% among swing voters to shift to me. That would be great. So you as a foreign power, a foreign intervener, need that information. And basically, without it, their chances of um, success in such undertaking become so low that they prefer other, you know, more costly, but more um, favorable options. The thing is that the domestic actor, of course it's this is not necessarily cost-free for it you know if you are a, if you're a domestic actor and this is you know done for you covertly co- many um many of your uh, own voters may not be happy that you know that particular foreign power is intervening for you so uh, may they may in a future election you know and decide not to vote for you and say oh you are the stooge of this uh, foreign power. We do not want to vote for a stooge. We want to vote for our person, so to speak. And actually, you know, when you get such aid, it's usually, you know, tied with some, you know, promising to do stuff for the foreign power. You know, what is the technical term is sovereignty costs. So, um, you know, that if you get this aid, you may, after the election, if you win, the foreign power may come in and say, remember, I helped you. I want you to do for me A, B, and C. And, you know, you are the domestic actor, may not want to do those things. So as a result, they would usually, the domestic actors would usually accept such assistance only if they're in a pretty bad political shape. What I call fragile victor, or, you know, um, blocked or weakened uh, loser, you know, either you are uh, in power, but, you know, your political situation is really, really bad, and you don't expect to win the next election, and probably the next few elections after that, or, you know, when you are out of power and your political position is very weak, or there's some kind of formal or informal block in that country against you becoming the, to, to come to power, so to speak. So that is my, uh, explanation for the causes. And can you repeat again the second part of the question?
1: Uh, I think you've already answered the second part of the question. So, no, we're going to go to the second question, uh, uh, which is is the effects on the intervened election results. And I'd like you to do the four hypo- hypotheses that you have, but very, very briefly so that we can make sure that we get as much of the book as possible in the time that we have.
0: Sure. So basically I have uh, four major arguments uh, in the... My uh, hypothesis about why about about the effects of such stuff, and the first hypothesis is basically that such interventions overall increase the aided candidate part candidate or parties' uh, sorry vote share by about three um, percent. And my uh, basic uh, argument here is that uh, because of this process in which you know. Um, The intervener and, you know, the domestic actor, you know, uh, work with each other. Usually um, such interventions will occur, you know, in uh, marginal elections where you, in other words, elections which are close enough where such an intervention can make a difference. You know, good foreign powers will not intervene for quote-unquote lost causes. And domestic actors, if they expect to be, you know, to win, will probably, you know, not bother with it because of its various costs to them. So they will usually only intervene in situations in which, you know, the it's relatively marginal and there's actually a chance for such meddling to have an effect. So that is one hypothesis. The second hypothesis about the effects of this stuff is that um, overt interventions increase the vote share of the preferred candidate or party by 3% more than, you know, the covert interventions. And I argue that that is happening because, basically, and in the case of overt, and you are, the intervener is able to use, basically, its whole power resources by going directly to the voters. And you can think about an election, like, you know, uh, uh, competition in promises. You know, one candidate says, if you vote for me, you will get the chicken in every pot. And the other candidate says, no, 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 if you vote for me, you'll get two chickens in every pot. And then their uh, foreign power can come in and say, you know, well, if you vote for this guy, you will get two chickens in every pot, a brand new stove and a brand new car. And naturally it can, and so naturally when it can intervene overtly, it can basically, you know, um, send a, send, you know, um, you know, affect directly the voters, and basic in a way which is stronger than either of the. It can basically outbid e- either of the candidates, and therefore shift the the voting toward that preferred candidate in much uh, in a much more heavy and direct way, so to speak. In other words, it can intervene directly, go over the two candidates' heads, and put all of its um, you know um, advantage and resources on the line for this purpose. In contrast, in covert interventions, the intervener is intervening indirectly. You know, you're giving, for example, money to that particular actor so that they can, you know, um, then, um, then you know, uh, put, put more TV ads, which will hopefully lead some people to decide then to vote for that side. And likewise, it is well known in the research on... Uh, Covert operations of all kinds. There's a limit to how much resources you can uh, give or you or give to a particular actor or utilize covertly without it being exposed. So the second uh, hypothesis is basically that overt interventions will be more effective in this uh, type of interference than um, than uh, um, covert ones. The third hypothesis is basically that the only exception. To the effectiveness of electoral interventions will be those in founding elections. In other words, elections in which uh, that's the first time that there's elect- competitive or relatively competitive elections ever, or you know after a long period of, a sorte- of severe authoritarianism. And the basic argument here is that uh, what's the name you call it that Tim? Um, basically, as that basically for such interventions to be effective depend on the local knowledge of the local actor on you know how to you know manipulate elections in its behalf but such knowledge of the local actor doesn't come out of the blue it comes out of you know its own experience of you know um, basically um, running and winning such elections in the past but in cases in which you know that's the first election or the first election after a long time the local actor doesn't have such experience because for this, it's also, you know, the first time they are doing it. So many times in such situations, it will ask for the wrong stuff, or you know, stuff that will be useless for it, or you know, even harm it directly. So many times it will lead the great power by mistake to intervene in uh, ways which are useless or even harmful for the great power, sorry, harmful for the local actor, and you know, causes a result of damage to it. And I find it that such interventions in founding elections reduce the, the assisted-sides voucher by 6.7% on average. Finally, I also check, you know, if there's a difference between, you know, uh, intervening for challengers or intervening for the incumbent, and I find no evidence that there is a difference in the effects of intervening for either a type of a domestic actor.
1: Dov, why focus on great powers um, rather than all nations attempting to intervene in another country's domestic uh, elections? Like, uh, and also, would you define great powers and explain how you methodologically determined which countries count in what time period as a great power?
0: Sure. Um, as for which exactly great powers, quote unquote, count, I mean, uh, The basic, the definition was very basic and obvious, you know, the countries which are in the UN Security Council, you know, with permanent members, with, you know, uh, veto power, so to speak. And so as for um, why, um, why uh, basically uh, focus on uh, great powers rather than all countries? Well, first just to make it clear, of course, you know, other countries can interfere in this manner, and we know of some cases that they did interfere. But uh, I decided to focus on uh, great powers for a few reasons. First, they are, they seem to be the most common doers of uh, such meddling. So when uh, my book discusses the uh, overall the most the majority of such uh, meddling probably in practice. Secondly, um, great powers are countries which, you know, by definition, cannot, you know, um, be punished by other actors. So as a result, you know, when you don't have it, the dynamics, when a, front, when a great power thinks about intervening in an election, you know, what will other countries think, so to speak? You know, what will, you know, if I say intervene in Italy, what will, I don't know, will the UK do? Will they punish me? You know, if you are a great power, you are not worried about those issues because you know you usually cannot, you know quote unquote be punished. Likewise, as a great power, you usually have you know multiple uh, options, so to speak. So for you, if you don't do this, you can you know choose other uh, options instead, so to speak. And um, another reason is uh, simply put that I was finding when I began collecting the data, That most such interventions, or about two thirds of all such interventions between 1946 and 2000, are covert. And in order to find covert interventions, it requires a lot of digging. You know, through that country's archives, and you know, having pretty good um, data coming out of its intelligence agencies in some way or manner. So, so in order to make sure that I would have, you know, an accurate, um, an accurate, uh, um, um, list of you know um, each uh, country's uh, interventions and you know not uh, not l- lose a large share. I had to limit myself to a relatively small number of countries which you know the two major great powers, the United States and the Soviet Union were well, the one to be most likely to have such you know um, data availability. So those are the the empirical and theoretical reasons why I focused on great powers uh, for this book. But of course, I hope in the future to, you know, be able to expand it, you know, to other powers.
1: No, and I can really see how you would do that. I I, I should say, I thought the book was terrific and it really pulled me in. And uh, you explain things really clearly and there's a lot in this book, nevertheless, it sort of moves you from the big general claims to the specifics in a really engaging manner. Uh, Let's talk a little bit more about methodology. You created case studies based on archival research. You analyzed an original data set of electoral interventions that you created, and also election surveys from specific cases of intervention. Tell us a little bit about how you chose the particular case studies with what criteria and just a little bit about each of these tools, especially your original database.
0: Well, uh, what's the name you call it? Um, Basically, the choice of uh, the case studies was done basically on the basis of uh, of, uh, house colors, of of house colors, of uh, qualitative qualitative case study selection a command you know uh, choosing cases out of a data set so these basically were cases that are in the data set and that you know I came across after uh, collecting the data you know cases of intervention and non-intervention and the basic idea here uh, the basic idea here is that um, these uh, cases are fit in one of the four in each of the Four possible situations, and according to my argument on uh, the causes, um, basically you can have a, a, a situation of uh, interference or non-interference. You know, is the great power uh, seeing one of the domestic actors as a threat or not, and is a domestic actor, in the, a different domestic actor in the target, willing or wants you know such foreign interference or not? So basically, I made sure that there would be, you know, cases of each type in uh, in my analysis of the case studies. There's, of course, a few extra case studies of uh, such cases where you have both conditions, according to my argument, happening because, you know, those are, you know, the stuff which, of course, we are all especially extra interested in. And what's the name you call it, Tim? Um, so that's as for the choice of uh, Case uh, study, so to speak, and of course, you know, I also the re- I also chose uh, most of the case studies, except for the 2016 uh, Russian intervention case, were chosen to be around the same period, you know, the early Cold War, and by the same intervener, you know, the United States, in order to um, make sure that the number of other factors that could, you know, um, be affecting um, the intervener, or the local actors' behavior is uh, limited to the minimum so to speak so that is the re- the logic of the, the case studies in um, what's the name you call it um, and as for the methodology of um, the other two aspects as for the election surveys and um, what's the name you call it the uh, logic was basically i was looking for any surveys which asked relevant questions before elections uh, what's the name you call it, where there was such interference you know either secret and exposed or, or overt and if they were I was happy to you know utilize them for this purpose. as for um what's name and, and that was not easy because you know unfortunately many times when such uh, surveys are done there are no one asks relevant questions about it unfortunately so it was not easy to find these things. as for the data set uh, what's the name you call it um, the data set uh, was basically collected, you know, uh, for, um, the use of multiple sources, you know, when when it came to the co- to the covert ones, it came from examples, you know, when former 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 uh, memoirs of, you know, uh, people who were, you know, former CIA agents, so to speak, you know, and de- declassified documents of uh, the US government. Uh, you know, um, and, 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 you know, when uh, congressional investigations like the Pike and Church Committee, which frequently, you know, expose such interventions as part of, you know, investigating the U.S. intelligence services or, you know, out of investigating, you know, where uh, something else. And, you know, it's also, you know, collections of primary documents of this type and known as the Foreign Relations of the United States or the FUS, which, you know, many times, especially the more modern ones, Describe such uh, intervention. So I did you know a keyword search for them, and in the Soviet case, it came through the Metonkin archives. You know there was basically um, this um, there was this former KGB agent called Vasily Metonkin, who was for, who was the, a KGB archivist, and for about twelve full years he was busy. You know with like basically writing summaries of every document he came across in the KGB archives, and you know, when, and then taking those summaries home and hiding them. And then at the end of the Cold War, he basically took all of these collections, ran off to the West, and published them in two factor uh, volumes of all of what he found. So that was the sources of the covert interventions. Then, you know, for the overt ones, it came, you know, from um, Keyword for, came from, for example, you know, keyword searches of uh, newspapers, of, of major newspapers uh, for this purpose. And uh, basically, I made sure, you know, um, to, you know, check carefully, you know, all of, you know, if I found an intervention in any particular election in a particular country, I made sure, you know, to check other elections before and after. I also, you know, made sure to check, you know, it was extra caught, extra attention, you know. Main, main you know hot areas where the United States or the Soviet Union or Russia are known to have intervened in other message, you know, and intervening in civil wars, you know, covert coup d'etats and things like that, so to speak. You know, other places where we know there was deep interest. And um, and they and you know and they uh, and and uh, I and I beforehand also made sure to create this whole um, list of relatively competitive elections during this period as a guideline where there could have been such a, a meddling, so to speak. So that is very briefly about uh, how in each uh, message, how the, how I chose um, How how did I do each one of these uh, data, you know, um, analysis methods and how I collected this data set?
1: So scholars in diplomatic history and intelligence studies have attended to electoral interventions. But but you write that electoral interventions have received very little attention in political science and that meddling in the ballot box is the first book length study treating partisan electoral inventions as a discrete standalone phenomena. And, and, and you, which shocked me, uh, you aim to provide a better explanation for why these interventions occur. Talk to me about how this book is unique in your field and why it provides a better explanation for partisan electoral interventions than previous scholarship.
0: Well, um, basically uh, just to, the idea is basically that research in other fields like diplomatic history or intelligence studies have done a lot of important and interesting work as to particular cases, but they did not try to do usually uh, 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 a systematic analysis of the effects of this stuff or, you know, develop a specific theory for, you know, why this stuff occurs. And, you know, a lot of times, many of them, you know, analyze these cases as part of, you know, a wider history, you know, the history of CIA, uh, you know, with covert operations or, you know, the uh, U.S.-Chile relations uh, since World War II. They didn't focus necessarily on those particular uh, things. And when they do, they only focus usually on one particular case or, as I noted, in um, It's discussed as part of a wider unrelated uh, phenomena. When it comes to uh, political uh, science research, it has occasionally been uh, mentioned in the past. What's name you call it? And there are some books who do discuss it, but most books discuss it together with other phenomena, so to speak. You know, it is, for example, uh, it's it's uh, it's electoral interventions, and you know. Convert, um, you know, regime overflows. It is electoral interventions, partisan electoral interventions, and you know, neutral interference, like for example, you know, election monitoring, so to speak. So most of the research until uh, until uh, this book usually studies such uh, interventions as you know, in, as part of you know, other phenomena as well, so to speak. And in many of these books, it's usually, you know, the Rosencrantz and Gilderstern and, and, you know, Hamlet. You know, it's a secondary actor, which is not the major scene that uh, the researcher is uh, focusing on. So my book is um, special for that it basically focuses only on these things as a separate, you know, standalone phenomena. And as a result, it enables us to, you know, first develop series which fit it better because you know, other books in political science on this topic, all of them pretty great, but nevertheless, have, have, when, when they, they use um, them series, which try to apply to multiple phenomena, which may fit those phenomena, phenomena pretty well, but don't fit um, partisan and electoral interventions um, as well uh, in this regard, so to speak. So it gives us um, better theoretical tools for this purpose. And it also provides for the first time unlike these books a systematic analysis of the effect on the election results which um, to my knowledge was never done in a systematic um, message, message before me so to speak so as for both uh, as for the first one as for the 2016 u.s election i when i discussed this case in my chapter the thing that, that popped out most to my mind is about um, how precedented most of its exact its things about it were. You know, if you heard the media about it, discussing it over the last uh, four to five years, very, you know, the word unprecedented or various you know, synonyms for the word unprecedented popped out a lot in this regard. You know, when it was discussed in the media. But what I basically uh, see in my book is about um, how very little that is special or unusual about the 2016 uh, Russian intervention in 2016. You know, uh, first, as I mentioned, you know, it's a common form of interference in general. It's a common form of interference by Russia particularly, which is the second most common interferer in this message since World War II. It is, you know, um, it is, you know, also commonly done by other powers and the United States in many other elections, as I mentioned. It is a type, the type of interference that Russia used was used and you know, what I call, quote-unquote, dirty tricks, was used many times in past non-digital forms, so to speak, you know, in... In other words, you know, when you could have done what they did in 2016, 20 or 30 years ago, so to speak, using non-digital methods. And Vladimir Putin, when he was in the KGB academy, probably learned exactly how to do that, so to speak. And you know, the collusion between the campaign, between the Tom, the Trump campaign and Russia, which we is very likely to have happened, is also, as you could see in my earlier discussion, quite common in such meddling. And um, so all of the, so it was so one of the things that most stuck to my mind is you know how much it is not it's how much it is precedented so to speak how much it fits quite well my argument in my book and the patterns of many such uh, you know uh, interferences in the past and the other thing you know that stuck to my mind is that it was you know rather shoddily done so to speak you know covert interventions are rarely exposed pre-election you know only a handful of them get you know exposed before the election when we discovered them they usually occur multiple years afterwards you know some guy was involved and writes their memoirs you know some documents get leaked or declassified but it takes multiple years until it is uh, um, exposed so the fact that it was exposed before the election showed that it was you know rather shoddily done you know uh, So to paraphrase the famous saying about Watergate, it was actually a third-rate electoral meddling by Russia. But despite that, the intervention actually played a key role in Trump's victory in 2016, and I find in my statistical analysis in uh, my book that it increased uh, Trump's vote share by 2%, and based on my analysis of where it had an effect, it probably was enough to give him his electoral college victory in uh, 2016. So those were some of the key issues that, Tim, were about the 2016 election, which I discussed in my book about it, among others, so to speak. As for the finding about the shift in uh, vote tallies, the basic idea here is that in the pre-modern era, one common method in which uh, foreign powers intervened uh, in elections was full, you know, meddling in the vote tallies. In other words, in the pre-modern era, usually the election body, quote, electoral body, quote unquote, was relatively small. You know, when it came to popes, you know, a, a group of a few dozen cardinals. When it came, you know, to uh, elections of kings, which you know, game of thrones was not unusual, it was you know, elected. The ending of Game of Thrones, you know, was elected king is not unusual in this regard. You know, when we talked about the small group of, uh, of you know, um, noblemen, so to speak, and um, basically in those cases, it was feasible for foreign power to literally try, you know, to bribe and um, the whole, you know, electorate, quote unquote, or you know, um, bribe the people who were in charge of, you know, counting their votes. And that was one common method in which you know foreign powers intervened in the past, you know, literally, you know, changing the vote count for that method. It didn't it stopped becoming feasible in the early modern era when we, we started moving to you know modern types of elections because simply there were too many voters and too many voting gear places. You know, in a modern election, we're talking about you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of voters. Thousands of ballot places, uh, ballot places spread across a whole country, and you know when all of this is conducted, you know, at the time with you know paper ballots or similar methods. So basically, the only way a foreign power could, in the modern era, intervene for directly changing the results would be, you know, having de facto control of the country. So that type of message stopped being used when we move when the world moved towards you know, modern elections with you know with you know mass electorates. The thing is that now that um, more and more countries are moving to various forms of electronic voting. You know Estonia, for example, does all of its elections online. Many other countries, just like the United States, you know, like India, like Brazil, like some European countries or vote, you know, for electronic voting machine, so to speak. You know, you come to a voting place and, you know, vote uh, in uh, you know, vote in a machine that is not different from an ATM, so to speak. And basically, many of these machines are also connected in some way to the internet, either directly or indirectly. You know, they need to get in some way updated for, you know, some, uh, some uh, some data that you download in some way from the internet and, you know, put it in. And as we know from the case of Substanet, basically, you know, that's um, foreign powers can basically, you know, um, put in something for that uh, message, so to speak, even when the, these uh, machines are not directly connected to the internet. And in some cases they are directly connected to the internet through Wi-Fi because of irresponsibility of, you know, the vendors. And basically, the, that fact enables it could could potentially in the future enable a foreign power to instead of you know trying you know to make threats before the election or you know leak documents or give piles of money to one of the sides to directly you know hack into you know the voting machines or you know the online voting system and, you know, directly change the voting results. You know, if you would be Vladimir Putin, you know, you'd sit in the Kremlin and say, well, how much would I want Donald Trump to win by? I think he deserves 80 million votes. No, no, let's make it, let's say, around 81.5 million votes. And that would just change it in the computer, and that would be it, so to speak. And basically, such a method of intervention could, you know, food the way it would hack in, could basically be something that could not be detected for a long time because, you know, as we discovered multiple times in the last few years, polls are less and less effective in, you know, getting the right election results. So, you know, if the polls get it wrong, we would frequently say, oh, the polls are wrong. You know, Nate Silver should go to his room and lock himself up and never, and never you know, come out again. You know, we would not suspect, you know, that, you know, that someone actually changed the votes many times, so basically anything except a landslide could basically be modified in this way, and no one would, you know, notice it, and if it would be noticed, it would cause, you know, the biggest hit to legitimacy of competitive elections ever, because it wouldn't be just, you know, oh, this election was was manipulated by Russia, the results are completely fake, let's redo it. People would start asking, "Oh my God, how many elections in the past were also uh, faked faked by Russia?" So you know that would cause a crisis of legitimacy to democ- to that particular country's democracy, which would be you know um, very hard to fix. It would basically destroy the legitimacy of elections in that country for a generation. So basically, the movement towards various electronic forms of voting. Make it potentially possible uh, again—a method of interference, meddling in the vote tallies, which was possible in the pre-modern era, stopped being possible due to the shift to mass electorates with multiple polling stations, and may become possible again with the with you know with the use of uh, electronic voting. So I try and so one of the things I tried to talk about in my book is about this possibility and how we must prevent it for, for example, you know, completely stopping to use any voting machines or online voting systems. You know, to summarize my argument in this regard, a democratic country should always vote like it's 1979.
1: Okay. It's it's actually a fascinating analysis, and I really appreciated how the book sort of moves from uh, sort of the, the classic IR approach to intersect with American politics and provide an analysis that really situates the precedentedness versus unprecedented, uh, and, and really gives people tools to understand what happened in 2016. So, Dove, before we say goodbye, what is your next project? What are you working on now that this book is, is, is out?
0: Well I'm continuing to analyze the effects of such uh, meddling, so I have other uh, publications which uh, have come out recently on other effects of such meddling. I find, for example, that such meddling increases the chances of, when it's done covertly, increases the chances of a democratic uh, breakdown in the target. And I also find that when such uh, interventions are overt or exposed, they increase the Frequency, the amount of terrorism in the target, domestic terrorism in the target, and the founding of uh, new terrorist groups. So you know, I'm um, so I'm continuing to study other effects, like for example, the effects on cooperation with the target after uh, the after you know with the election. You know, if you put the guy or gal you wanted uh, in power, do they cooperate with you more? So I find you know that uh, basically. Uh, when when it is done, uh, when uh, the United States does it, it sometimes gains some cooperation, but Russia frequently and usually fails in this regard. So, you know, one aspect is, you know, continuing to study the effects of such meddling. Another aspect is uh, basically analyzing, uh, you know, uh, when and how, you know, the American public sees, you know, such uh, interference as okay or, you know, acceptable, you know, uh, when the United States does it, you know, and what is the American public's opinion about such interference in other countries, especially after its recent unpleasant experience in this regard? So those are some of the research on this topic I am, a, I am a studying, and of course, you know, on other topics as well.
1: Well, it all sounds terrific and uh, very, very relevant and necessary for political science to fill some of these gaps. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. The book is Meddling in the Ballot Box, The Causes and Effects of Partisan Electoral Interventions, published by Oxford University Press in 2020. It's available on the Oxford University Press website And we encourage listeners to use bookshop.org, which helps support brick and mortar independent bookstores. Uh, Dr. Dove H. Levin, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today.
0: And thank you very much for inviting me to come on your podcast.